everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this, what would you call it, autumnal weekend in Washington, D.C.? I hate autumn. I'm sorry. I hate it. I'm sorry. I like summer. I like it hot. I hate food. I'm miserable. Go ahead. Okay, well, that's an upbeat way to start the show. Uh, we do have a great show today. We're joined today by Sarah Chaudhry, who is the lead bartender of the Michelin-starred Bresca, famous Bresca. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's very interesting, kind of a Renaissance woman, aren't you? She uses her creative background in graphic design to inspire her cocktail menu. We're going to hear all about that. Uh, she's going to be mixing up some cocktails and pouring them for everybody in the studio shortly. And mm-hmm. if you are hungry for food culture, get ready to be well-fed because November 3rd and 4th, the annual Smithsonian Food History Weekend uh, is back. It explores how food, climate, and community intersect with the lives of women in different regions of the country. And that's going to be a fascinating conversation because Teresa McCullough is here. She's the curator of the American Brewing History Initiative. She's back. She's back again. Uh, and I don't know how many people know this, but before there was The Rock— there was our friend, Rock, Rock Harper, the celebrated chef, TV personality, and restaurateur. He won the third season of Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen, which I guess makes him a survivor, and he proved it because he's been working hard to open his the brick-and-mortar version of his new restaurant, Queen Mother's Kitchen. It's an homage to his mommy, Carol Harper, mm-hmm. which is always going to be appreciated in the world. But he's also got a new space. Uh, on 8th Street Northeast. Yes, his bar. Right, yeah. right, right. So right. he's got lots of things happening. I can't wait to catch up with And he's him. got fried chicken, but unfortunately he's going to be on Zoom, so I'll have to shove it through the computer, I mm-hmm. suppose. But um, everybody who listens to this show knows that we are Italophiles. Uh, if it's Italian, we love it. Fortunately in this town, among others, there is one almost, uh, I'd say 99.99% perfect Italian restaurant, Osteria Morini, uh, down at the Yards. It's it's celebrating its 10th anniversary, which is itself an homage to survivability. But you know what's really amazing about it is that it was really the first restaurant of note to open up in the Navy Yard. And it helped change that entire area. I don't think all the cement was dry when you opened it. No. In fact, I remember when it was announced that Osteria Marini was opening up there. And I was like... Do they know that there's nothing down there? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it, it happened. So corporate executive chef for Osteria Marini is Bill Dorier. He's in with us mm-hmm. today, and we're going to be talking all about how do you survive 10 years, including the pandemic. Et cetera. Yeah. Are you kidding? A little recession, all of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go to Sarah first. Uh, tell us a little bit about your world at Bresca. No, no, no. I'm not going <laughs> to let you talk No. Yet. I'm sorry. I have to talk about my experience at Bresca about nine months ago. I sat at the bar with a friend, JP, and uh, you met us there. And she was just this like glowy, like happy personality. She just wanted to talk to us about what we wanted to drink and how we wanted to drink. And I felt by talking with you that I had to like raise my vibration to be up where you were. Because like you just emanate like a real peace and happiness. And then that all comes through in your cocktails. So I just wanted to start. So the sort show. of Zen cocktails. No, right? no, there's just kind 
kind of. I mean, it's definitely like a way to connect with people. Someone had once said that it seems like cocktails are my love language, mm-hmm. but it's about like making people feel good. When you come into my space, I want it to be like a special, memorable experience. If I have the ability and the skill set to make something um, like bespoke, cater towards your personal preferences or your mood that day, or let's say it's like pairing with whatever dishes you have to be uh, enjoying that day as well. Um, it's it's special and it's one of a kind. And I'd love to be able to offer and extend that to anyone who is willing to let me do so. And how did you get there? What was it about the cocktail world where you were like, I can communicate with people this way? Um, it was definitely like a blend of my past experience as a designer where, um, you know, you can approach every situation as a unique one. Um, go back into your past experiences and everything that you've been through and try to uh, apply that into a way that's a little bit more nuanced and sensitive. And um, you know what I mean? Like every time that we approach a situation, there are multiple aspects of it based on people's individual personalities. And you have to like kind of cater yourself towards um, how like they might be behaving or how they might perceive you and kind of just have and a How do you have time to do that, that in a busy bar? <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, time is relative. So <laughs> sometimes it's more of like an instinctual thing. I'm not going through like a logical um, time span based uh, problem solving methodology in my head at that moment. It's more so just like a gut reaction. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so at Bresca, how do you work with the team there? Because it's it's always had a very creative cocktail program. Absolutely. Always. I mean, luckily, uh, you know, the people who hired me, Will Patton, for example, mm. have uh, kind of paved the way to garner trust from the higher ups in the company as well. And then when you work hard and show that you earned that trust, then they allow you a little bit more creative freedom. Mm-hmm. For example, I have been able to create this omakase cocktail tasting experience called Ethos um, that I'm very excited about. It's based off of the idea that as humans, we have the ability to experience flavors emotionally, experience everything emotionally. Um, I thought that was super powerful. And okay, we're going to get to that because yeah. I want to hear more about it. But what are you making for us first? Okay, so first is a cocktail called self-care. Um, it tastes like the feeling of getting to bed on fresh, cool sheets after a hot shower, fresh moisturized <laughs> after like maybe like going out to a party. <laughs> it's a clarified milk punch featuring uh, – Cucumber, ginger, chereau, which is an aloe liqueur coming from California, Uh Um, a little bit of vodka, uh, crown melon juice, um, crown melon syrup. Crown melon is like the super rare um, fruit that, you know, gets a lot of attention from the farmers to become very, uh, like, robust. Okay, we're going to let you mix that up. We are ready. We are ready. I hope it doesn't put us to sleep in studio, but we're going to perk you up. It'll wake (laughs) you and perk you up. Okay. All right, so let's uh, let's move over to uh, Teresa McCullough, who curates the American Brewing History Initiative at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. It is a mouthful. Uh, But she's uh, running the annual Smithsonian Food History Weekend uh, entitled Food, Climate, and Community, How Women Are Shaping the Future of Food. And you know what? Before well, we get into that, yeah. can we talk about your background? Because I read your resume and it terrified me. <laughs> Did you ever get out of school? Why? Are you because afraid to be I'm near never, smart women? She, what are you saying? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I, I, I spent many years in the classroom. I don't think they'll let me back. It's been, right. uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> but so let's just talk a little bit about your trajectory that brought you to the Smithsonian. 
Well, I, uh, I'll i say first I grew up with a homebrewing dad. And mm-hmm. so that in some ways is the start of my work with beer and with food. I have memories of being seven and eight and my dad brewing in our kitchen. Um, but fast forward many years and I studied romance languages as an undergrad. It made me love travel and food and people. Mm-hmm. Um, got a culinary degree, worked in some restaurant kitchens, um, went to uh, grad school studying doing American studies. Uh, New Orleans food history, and then uh, this wonderful, intriguing, and weird job ad popped up at the American History Museum to collect and think about the history of beer and brewing. Um, But that's as they were expanding. It was post-Julia's Kitchen, right? And it's as they were expanding their sort of food history offerings at the museum, right? Right, right. yes. The American Food History Project at the museum uh, has done just fantastic work collecting food history, sharing that history with the public. And so um, beer was one facet that could be added and enhanced. And mm-hmm. uh, When did the museum, because you know, I've been going to that museum since I was literally in diapers, uh, and it was very straightforward American history, George Washington kind of stuff. When did they say there's more meat on the bone that we haven't really you know, taken a bite of yet, and that's food? When do they start that, the initiative? Well, and, and your long history is, uh, your long memory is, is interesting because the, the museum started as very much a kind of Cold War project, a history mm-hmm. of, of science and technology. But yes, in the much, in the more recent past, uh, there's been an increased focus on social history and, and cultural history. And so uh, my colleagues, uh, Paula Johnson, Steve Velasquez, and others, they collected Julia Child's kitchen from, mm-hmm. from her home in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 2001. And we have had uh, uh, just wonderful um, interest in our exhibition, Food Transforming the American Table. And so you can find the kitchen and so many other stories there. Well, but food is so important now to the culture in this country, where I think for a long time it wasn't. It wasn't a dominant part of the conversation. And especially in the last 30 years, there's been such a massive change in how we as Americans look at food, talk about food, incorporate food. Mm -hmm. It's not... It's not as um, it's it's more group than individual. Do you know what I mean? Well, and I think a wonderful expression of that when you walk into the American History Museum, in the heart of our first floor, we have a beautiful kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's on a stage. Uh, this is where these events that I'll, I'll talk about will be happening. But uh, just to walk into a Smithsonian Museum and find a kitchen and find someone at work, someone is talking, is, right. is just really exciting. Can we talk about? Let's sort of. Go invert well, the pyramid and, and take take the broadest thing about and, and about, about the about event. The, yeah, yeah, let's just talk about because this is what year is this for the event? This will be the ninth annual okay. Smithsonian Food History Weekend. Oh, right, because next year yes. is the big ten year. Yeah, right, 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 right. And so you honor somebody every year. So Sean Sherman got um, honored this year. The event is there. Usually is a huge kickoff event here. It's not going to be here in the in the DC area. That's right. It'll be in Minneapolis this year. Right. Um, but the, the Food History Weekend this year that will take place at the museum, mm-hmm. it will be um, all day, Friday, November 3rd, Saturday, November 4th. And so we just have a, a, a wonderful array of experiences that we have planned. We have several cooking up history programs, conversation circles. Uh, we have my... What's the umbrella of the event, though? Like every year you guys have a focus. Can we talk about the focus this year? Absolutely. So this year the focus is food, climate, and community, how mm-hmm. women are shaping the future of food. Mm-hmm. And so we are thinking about growers and gatherers and producers, um, people throughout the nation who are looking to the past, to ancestral knowledge, but simultaneously innovating in really interesting ways uh, to make 
food and drink uh, sustainable uh, from a kind of agricultural perspective and also a social perspective? Well, because I, climate change is, is so important when we talk about agriculture and what we see on our plate. So you're going to be having lots of conversations about that this year. Absolutely, yes, from 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 different kinds of angles. Um, so, and I'm happy to to talk now. Let's about go this. into that. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We'll dig into what some of these conversations are going to look like um, while we sip on this like delicious yeah, elixir. This is-, um, this is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. Hey, Nick. Let's take a couple seconds to talk about the point. Oh, the point in Buzzard Point. Yeah. Well, Buzzard Point is really interesting because it's a new area that has totally kind of come up out of the water. It is where the Potomac and Anacostia Rivers meet, and now this development is there. And the Point D.C. is the very first restaurant there. So it has amazing water views, this incredible patio, fire pits. It is a great place to grab a drink and sit out and look at the water and eat amazing oysters. Oh, and seafood and sushi and steaks and more because we've done that. Exactly. So if you haven't been to the point, it's time for you to check it out. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to you're really Dr. Teresa McCullough, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Because I, I have this pain here. Um, so, and we're 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 talking about the November third and fourth, the ninth annual Smithsonian Food History Weekend. Um, and you talked about really with a focus on women growers and uh, people who are trying to essentially deal with climate change uh, and growing crops. I, I can, how do you find these people? I mean, are you on the hunt? Or do they come to you? How does it work? Well, I, I'm part of a, a whole team of, uh, of people at the American History Museum, um, Paula Johnson, Steve Velasquez, Ashley Rose Young. And so um, we we think about the research we do. We have an eye on on the news. Um, just this week, actually, there was a big um, article released in the journal Nature about how climate change is impacting hop growing in Europe right. and, and the dangers that imposes on beer. And so, um, but we tried to think about just a, a wonderful um, variety of of speakers who are working in really creative ways. And what so what are we hoping with some of these concepts? Like, how do people? How does the layperson participate in the event? Right. So all events of the weekend of Friday, November 3rd, Saturday, November 4th, Mm -hmm. with the exception of the evening beer program are free. Uh, We would love if folks who are interested in coming could register for the events. And I'm happy to share the the link uh, Mm -hmm. that will allow you to do that. But coming to the museum um, Friday, beginning at at 2 p.m. for our first um, Cooking Up History program is, is where it kicks off. And so this this first program, Foodways and Waterways, with Low Country Chef Sally Ann Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a native of Dofusky Island, South Carolina, and she will be speaking about um, Gullah communities uh, on the Sea Islands and their roots in West African Caribbean cultures. Um, but then how they're really thinking of of these modern innovations to address uh, issues like rising sea levels. Mm-hmm. Well. Uh- and you've got, I just want to point out another one that looks really interesting is Feeding Communities in Crisis. And somebody from, uh, Chef Molly Kaufman from World Central Kitchen will be there. As well. That would be fascinating. But so, I mean, how is, you know, climate change is scary. And, you know, depending on what you read, we're finished. We're over the tipping point. We might as well bend over and kiss our feet goodbye. Okay, or yes. we can make it. So how is how is, how are people responding and what's driving innovation that's actually working and maybe could sustain us? 
Well, and and so you know, a lot of our speakers they have um, they have already been working with these really challenging circumstances. And so, if if we were to jump for a moment to, to Saturday, one of our conversation circles, um, aquaculture and urban agriculture during mm-hmm. climate crises with Amani Black and um, mm-hmm. Kiana Mickey. These these are um, scientists and entrepreneurs and oyster farmer. Uh, Ms. Black is a community advocate in the Chesapeake Bay region, and Kiana Mickey is at work in New York City. She's the first executive director of the Office of Urban Agriculture. And so, yes, despite the overwhelming nature of, of these um, issues confronting all of us, there are people who have been at work to uh, really lay the groundwork and help all of us understand how we Well, and we I think that change. isn't that the overall point? I mean, the sharing of information and showing that there is innovation out there. What I like what you said earlier is that people are really going back to their roots, you know, and um, we're sort of like skipping over like, the processed food generation, people are going backwards to be like, this is what worked. And we we got rid of it for reasons that made, made financial sense, but don't really make good sense moving forward. And now they're taking modern technologies and implying it to processes of the past. Totally. And, and uh, just a, the wonderful example of that, one of the speakers at my um, evening beer event last mm-hmm. call on Friday, uh, November 3rd, Andrea Stanley, she founded a, a um, organization called Valley Malt in Holyoke, Massachusetts, and she is creating a local malting supply chain for New England farms and breweries and distilleries. And malting is one aspect of brewing and distilling and baking that um, really, it's, in a great extent, is no longer a kind of local process, but she wants to bring that back um, mm. while while using 100% hydroelectric power. Um, so new, new approaches, old techniques um, I love create it. a sustainable future. Okay. Tell everybody where they can get tickets for this and give us a link. Sure. So um, if, if you go to the American History Museum website, mm-hmm. uh, AmericanHistory.si.edu slash events, mm-hmm. uh, you will find a full listing of the Food History Weekend events. Also, all of these are on Eventbrite. Um, again, last call on Friday evening, it's the only um, ticketed event with a cost associated, but I would love to share a discount code with your listeners. Okay, um, give it to me because I'll put it in the show sure. notes instead of, you can okay, say great. it now. Sure, it's friend, friends, family, one word, um, okay. but that'll drop the ticket price to $35. You'll get excellent eight pours of beer, lots of other treats. Let's great. go. Okay, go. all right, thank you. We'll put that in the show notes, um, and we're... Very excited for the event. So thanks so much for joining us. Okay. So, Rob. Let's go back to first of all, drinks from Bresta. This is nuts. This is a great drink. Beautiful it, drink. It, it, I don't know what the, you know, ABV <laughs> is, but, I mean, it hides it completely. You can, yeah. It tastes, it tastes like a refreshing <laughs> breakfast drink. So you were saying thanks. off air that when you... When you're making a milk punch, can you talk mm-hmm. about that process Absolutely. a little bit? Yeah. Well, um, I'm so glad that you're enjoying the cocktail. Um, the process of it, of course, is uh, that the milk proteins... And the citrus in the punch will create like a curdle, and then uh-huh. you can strain it, and then you're left with this clarified product. But you get a really nice, um, like delicate yet comforting, creamy mouthfeel. Um, conceptually, the shiraz, the green chartreuse, and the cucumber in this cocktail are like loose free associating associations to the feeling of the cool sheets. It's comforting. You get the creaminess of the, the milk in there. It's also kind of unique, too, because usually when you see cucumber in a cocktail, it's shaken with citrus. It's more crisp and refreshing. So I really wanted to kind of do no, the it's unexpected it's with very the mellow. milk as well. well so, okay. Well, yeah, go ahead. I just quick question. Yes. So in terms of ingredients, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds to me like you sit back and you're thinking inductively about 
you know, the world of possibilities. <laughs> and do you just spend all your time throwing stuff together to see what works? Um, a little bit. I mean, she sounds way more intentional than that. No, well, I don't know because that? it depends on, on. Yeah, I mean, there are classic um, texts such as culinary artistry and the Flavor Bible, of course, that everybody or that it, one can use as a resource. We've had Karen and Andrew on the show. <laughs> we know that. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, so that's a really, really great way of doing it. Also, I mean, you can look at your culinary team. Um, I've been doing that a lot lately. Uh, actually, the crown melon, which is an ingredient in this cocktail, is uh, utilized as a supplement. At Jaunt, our sister two-star concept upstairs, mm-hmm. where they will two like throw out some of the star. Mm-hmm. two Michelin yeah. star, doing some really cool stuff in the building. Um, this uh, crown melon, super super concentrated flavor, um, has a lot of pulp. And the pulp itself is very bitter, and so they'll throw out the pulp. But I've been collecting it and utilizing it and making it a syrup, and then that added bitterness in the initial um, version of the cocktail before it's clarified. Um, adds a lot of like brightness, crispness, freshness, like the quality of your ingredients quality is going to carry a lot of the end result. Right. Well, I love, yeah. we're going to have to wrap this up a little bit. So yeah, yeah. I love that you're not wasting things, that you're finding ways to yeah, reuse right. products. products. It's amazing. Everything. Um, what's our next cocktail? Um, next up, we're going to do Passion for the Run. It's a Negroni variation that we're featuring on our Myths and Legends cocktail menu, okay. which is a concept menu available to all the guests at the bar and the dining room. Okay. Great. You get to that. We'll be back to you in just then a second. Then we're going to talk to The Rock. Chef Rock Harper is an old friend of ours, an old friend of the show. He's a celebrated chef. He's a famous TV personality. He's he worked a with DC Central Kitchen for a long time. And he's a very cool guy. Yes. How about that, Rock? Exactly. He also survived Gordon Ramsay, and he, he won the third season of Hell's Kitchen, which makes you a real man, Rock. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. I'll All take right. It. So I don't it, think Rock needs that from you. And all I think of, Rock knows that all, he's a real man. But all of those skills and all of those attributes are going to be tested now because now you've got a restaurant that you're running you two places. day in, day out. Two places, right, that you're running day in, day out. So tell us about Queen's Mother. Well, listen, real life is much harder than uh, than the reality show. So, <laughs> you're right. Uh, that was preparation. Always good to talk to you all. I really appreciate you. We go way, way back. We do. Um uh, so Queen Mother's Kitchen is the latest, um, I don't say iteration, but we we had the space on Columbia Pike and we moved it to uh, the water park in National Landing over there in Crystal I know. Can City. we talk about that for a sec? So, I mean, here's sure. the thing about Queen's Mother. Like, you've been operating it now for a couple of years in, in different capacities, right? Yeah. But now mm-hmm. National Landing has opened up a, a water park. I mean, can you explain it? Yeah. Okay, please. That's a sure. park with water. Yeah, I know, but like, yes. but there's all these restaurants there, and he's like one of the premier ones. Right, because when you're done going down the slide, you're hungry. Okay. Uh, well, that's a, that's a uh, common because of the name. Uh, there are no slides, David. There's no slides. Uh, you could slide, but it looked really odd. What it is <laughs> is a. Uh, it's a, it's just it's a park. It was a green space. So the water park has been there for many years mm-hmm. uh, in Crystal City. Just a green space with a water like fall and a feature, and then so it's a park. But it's not like a, an amusement park. So, um, like you said, Nikki, we uh, opened Queen Mother's in June 2020, August 2020, mm-hmm. and uh, in the ghost kitchen. Then we moved to another shared kitchen. So we sort of we opened during the pandemic, and we sort of, you know, seen the sort of the industry and food halls uh, evolve to where they are today. Uh, so when JBG Smith approached me about this, I was very excited because. Uh, of their initiative and their intention behind this project. So I'm one of uh, 11 concepts that are there. Nine are the kiosk and uh, you have all sorts of great food. And I'm just happy to bring some uh, some excellent 
fried chicken and really, um, you know, my community mindset. Oh my God, your fried chicken's so good. So let's talk about, <laughs> for those who haven't had the ability to taste what you're doing, let's talk about what you're serving at Queen Mother. Uh, yeah, so the, I mean, it's, you know, the food is super important. It's not everything, but it is, uh, we serve a premium fried chicken sandwich. You know, it is, the chicken is, you know, a couple check boxes short of organic. Um, the, the, Bread is baked from uh, in, in in Maryland from Lyon um, uh, brioche. Uh, we use premium ingredients, you know, Spanish paprika and uh, Italian sea salt and just all of the good stuff. But I love frying chicken and and it's fried um, in duck fat, so it's it's rich, um, indulgent. So was your uh, mom frying food. it in duck fat? I'd like to know where you where that well, one mama, came from. Mama wasn't frying it in duck fat. That, <laughs> I think that so. came from look. That came from my. All of that, that little French lens that I picked up in culinary school and along mm-hmm. my career, just you know, I'd fry it in butter if I could, but uh, we both know that would burn. So mm-hmm. uh, it just, I just wanted to add uh, the recipe came from my mom, my grandmother, uh, but uh, I wanted to add my own um, twist and spin, and um, you know, it just duck fat tastes better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is uh, so do we have multiple offerings? What does it look like? Sure. Well, right now we have a very focused menu just so we get our feet under us. You know, we've been mm-hmm. open for eight days now, um, but eventually we will grow the menu to about eight, maybe 10 flavors or, or different mm-hmm. variations on the chicken sandwich. Um, I don't know. You all probably don't know this, but in eighth grade, uh, I fell in love with uh, what I what I thought, but uh, Italian food. Um, and I, I, I call in my book, I even call Italian food the world's comfort food. So mm-hmm. um, my goal is to definitely put some sort of, uh, you know, uh, Italian fried chicken sandwich or dish on the menu. So I, I'll probably have to consult with you all uh, first <laughs> um, or, or the, uh, the chef from uh, Osterina uh, Marini. Right. But um, uh, just, w- w- you know, it's all about love mm-hmm. and, and it's good vibes over there at uh, at Queen Mother's, and that's what we really try to uh, focus. How, on. How many people can you seat? No, he can't. It's a kiosk. It's a totally ki- no. It's a the, kiosk. The Queen's Mother is a kiosk. There are no seats. So, yes. So we have seats, but not at our specific location. So I want to say about 150 people can sit out there. Mm. Um, you know, we're right there, National Landing, where Amazon is. So, you know, we we there were several hundred, probably you know, mm. a couple thousand people are coming through there every day now. So many people are getting it to go. But uh, it's just been beautiful and gorgeous. As a matter of fact, when it rained last week, uh, we have umbrellas and, and folks are uh, sitting out there and not taking it to go uh, in the light, Mr. Rain. So we out. do have seats, but not specifically at, uh, we can't control them, you know? Right. Okay. So now let's talk about you dipping your toes in over on 8th Street Northeast. Yeah. What's happening a, there? That is far, right? Uh, Hill Prince, um, which has been around for almost seven years. Uh, uh, my friend said uh, he was getting out and asked me that I want to get in. So, um, you know, we're it's a beautiful bar. It's a neighborhood spot. It's gorgeous. Uh, you know, the exposed brick and the um, and, and just the feel of it. Our, we have a beautiful patio and a, an event space in the back. It is just a wonderful feel good space. And uh, I'm happy to 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 have it and eventually to to bring some food to it. Well, um, wait, I know Rock. I got- Rock, we have to take a quick break, but I want to talk about what brought you over there because it seems like it it happened fast. Am I wrong on that? It did happen quickly. Okay, hold on one sec. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast. We're talking to our friend Chef Rock Harper, um, Mm -hmm. who has just opened his new, his Queen's Mother's concept uh, over at the water park in Arlington. Mm -hmm. And... um, 
Nikki wanted to know what brought you over there. I assume a car. No, not to Arlington. I wanted to know about the bar over on H Street. Oh, on H Street. On H Street, he had a friend in Extremis, and he said, do you want my bar, right? (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, it just, uh, it happened kind of quickly. You know, I got a phone call. And, um, you know, it was just like, hey, it, you know, what, what's coincident? I, I closed Queen Mother's in May. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But knowing that the kiosk was in the works, right? I did know it was in the works. Okay. I was going to move it. It was supposed to open a little, you know, in June. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think it'd be, um, you know, October. <laughs> but, um, you know, restaurants and construction. I was going to say, classic lament, <laughs> right? It happens. Exactly. Right. So I just said, hey, why not? I'm a creative and a risk taker and um i decided i wanted to uh to get in the bar business and here we are wow so what was there before and how are you executing it now so it was a classic cocktail bar and you know i haven't changed anything i've i've, I've you know cleaned it up a little bit and you know put a little a little paint on it mm-hmm. um but, you know, our goal was not to the neighborhood was very concerned when we came. Hey, what are you changing? Mm. And uh, the staff changed. Um, but uh, most of the staff changed. Let me say that. But I haven't changed anything aesthetically or even the name for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted to let people know that I'm here to to learn what, what you know, we have to ask questions as restaurant uh, people like I'm not here to do necessarily specifically what I want. But what do you need from me? So I haven't changed much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just. um we're just a great bar, and uh, we welcome um, just all people in. We want you to have a chill and have a good time. Well, I kind of love that because I think so many times you hear about people moving into a ready-made space, and they're like, yeah, but this is what I want to do. And they don't really yeah. listen to the neighborhood, especially on 8th Street Northeast, which is so – it's such a neighborhood-driven area. Like, the concepts really need to be, meet people where they are. So I love yeah. that you're you're thinking that way. Are people asking for food? Because I don't think oh, there's any absolutely. fried. There's no fried chicken on 8th Street. I'm pretty sure. Well, I, I brought a food truck to 8th Street Festival and I fried chicken. That was the one day. But of uh-huh. course, they're asking for like I'm a chef and I own a bar and they're like, OK, well, where's right. the food? Like, so it's a little more, um, uh, you know, a little more difficult than I originally anticipated. Is there um, a kitchen? But, so. Yes, and maybe. Um, <laughs> it looks uh, so like yes, a kitchen, is. but is it a kitchen? Yeah, we just have some challenges, mm. um, uh, which which are not insurmountable. It's just uh, with me opening a restaurant and, and doing a bunch of things. It's just going to take a little more time. Okay. Well, Rock, I got yeah. one, one consumer's question, because every time we go over to H Street, the one challenge is parking. Is there sort of mass parking somewhere that I don't know about? No, dude, you have to use no. Uber. That's no. what you Call do. me dude. <laughs> I mean, seriously. What happened to Darwin? Why are you asking Rock where to park? Because he owns a place over there. Okay. So that's Uber. Just Uber. You can Uber. Here's what people do. You go to you go to Maketo, you Uber to Maketo, you have a great oh, yeah. dinner. Give Eric the money and then come over there and drink with you. I see. Okay. Right. You go to you go to Bronze, you go to Harai, you go to Daru, you go to all these great restaurants we got around. Then you come have drinks and party with the room tonight. That but you got to Uber. Like I I, I, st- I gave up the parking fight like four months ago. Okay. Like, no, there's no parking. I agree. All it's right. Just the deal. All okay. right, man. Tell everybody please where they can find you. Please, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Rock Harper. Um, mm-hmm. The restaurant is QueenMotherCooks.com, mm-hmm. um, and I'll be between those two places. But uh, I just want to say thank you all for doing what you've done for so long. Love you. Thank you for amplifying you restaurants and bars. We appreciate you so much. You're my uh, favorite, Rock. Thanks, I just Rock. Want you to know.
All right. We hope to see you soon, Rock. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. All right. Okay. Bye. All right. So, Rob, we're back to you. Okay. So, this cocktail. This is so gentle. <laughs> but it has hints of Negroni. I see where you're going with but it. I, yeah, absolutely. Because so. I actually don't. I can't believe I'm saying this on air. I don't like Negronis. They're so <laughs> syrupy and thick and sweet. Like, I've had so few. Like, I just, I'm always like this. It's it like coats your tongue. It's well, so thick. It's not I for everyone, it. of course. The I mean, the classic Negroni with the traditional, you know, bitterness. However, mm-hmm. this one has something for a wider range of palates. Mm. Uh, the cocktail Passion for the Run was developed by our beverage director Will. I was involved in some of the R and D and the tastings for it, and then my team executes it for the Brasca menu mm-hmm. um, daily. It's a pisco base featuring raspberry infused. Coqui Americano, which is a fortified wine. Mm-hmm. Lestal Blanco, adding a nice, like, subtle vanilla note to it, kind of, like, softening that out. And, of course, Campari, um, which is in almost every Negroni variation. Um, finally, we age it in a leather bota. It's a Peruvian um, bag. And so it's this really strip easy away to make, some of the right? Like, this is... <laughs> Definitely a lot of processes going right? on. Similar to the process with the milk punch, too. Like, you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. So when you put it in, you're like... I really hope this works, and this one turned out to work out very well. Well, it's very subtle. The question, yeah. How much alcohol is in here? I mean, a lot. <laughs> a lot of so that's, that's what all I these. Mean. That's what I mean. It can, it can, with pisco and everything yeah. else in there, it can the leather sneak up on you. will strip away like some of like those um, like qualities that you're used to in a, a booze-forward cocktail. And uh, it's funny, like every time that we add a batch into this bag, it kind of seasons the inside of it sure. like a cast iron skillet. So we're getting a lot more depth of flavor every time. It's dynamic. It's changing. It's aging. It's very cool. It tells the story of a Peruvian bull who uh, lives at the bottom of a lagoon and haunts the town. And then the uh, sacrifice of the elderly lady who um, <laughs> saved the town. It's featured here in our Myths and Legends menu that if you mind passing. Yeah, let's see. Um, I don't think this was available when you sat at the bar, no. but we're very proud to have launched this. Um, I designed the menu to be something that, uh, you know, the guests can touch, have a tangible thing that they can immerse themselves in. Mm-hmm. And art directed the illustrations from Basil Zerinsky, who uh, is bartender turned illustrator based in Athens. Gorgeous. Thank you. Um, I love, a, I, I think that you're seeing this as a national trend where you're going to a bar and there's, I mean, you're a restaurant bar, obviously, but that there's a, a story to, you know, like a real narrative. Right. The stories of, connect us to each other and it makes our right. experiences more memorable. So definitely trying to incorporate that in everything. I love that. Okay, yeah. what are you making next? Um, next up, uh, so the cocktail doesn't necessarily have a name yet. We did a version of it called Friends of Friends for a recent collaboration with mm-hmm. Bandista team. But internally, it's called Beat Cocktail. Um, it's definitely culinarily driven and something I'm working on for the next menu launch. Uh, split based, very cool, earthy, sweet. Subtle. All right, you get to that. We'll okay. bring you back in just a sec. All right, let's move on. So, uh, Bill Dorier is the corporate executive chef for all of the Osteria Morini restaurants, and he's in town now to celebrate the 10th anniversary of our Osteria Morini, which opened. Basically, as I said before, before the cement was dry, yeah, <laughs> down on uh, in the yards, and it has survived, conquered, thrived during all those well, years. Well, not only that, is, the area has just well, area grown up around you. Amazing, all. and you've been around for the whole thing, right? Well, yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah. So tell us Wait, a little so about you. Who was the first chef executing? Was that Adler? It was. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was our opening chef. Yeah. Matt and we uh, love Matt. and Alex Levin. 
Yep. Right. right? Exactly. They were both there 100%. in the beginning. Yeah, okay, definitely. so let's just talk was about... He, wait, was he wearing his Yale t-shirt then, too? Probably. Leave Probably. Alex okay. alone. <laughs> we're, we love him. And Adler. We love both of them. Good boys. Um, so let's talk about sort of the vision of coming to D.C. Because at that time when Marini was in New York and I think just in New Jersey 10 years ago, I don't even think you guys were international yet, right? No, correct. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely right. So the name of the company, Altamirea Group, right, which started mm-hmm. New York with the, you know, with Marea as our flagship. So right. we, we come down to, to, to the yards and, the, and, and we're on the water and it's February. It's, it's freezing. And, you know, there's nothing around. And we're, mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, this looks like a good place to put a Marini. So, right. uh, you know, so it was kind of it was it was scary at first a little well, bit. But I think you guys had. Some, uh, listen, there was a lot of vision happening at that time 10 years ago. You know, Union Market was just being built. Like, all these areas that didn't exist, the wharf didn't exist. Like, all these areas right. in D.C. were just laying the foundation for a, a larger vision for D.C. Well, Michael Stevens, who you may have met on that first trip, was the executive director of the bid, had a map in his uh, – it was like a 3D map in his office – and I saw it right as the yards was. I mean, literally, there was still mud and dirt and, and cement being poured. And it looked like it changed. It, it was a whole new world because that whole area was just scrub pines yeah. and every, every beat up every tires. S- several months coming down, even to now, there's still yeah. there's new buildings that pop right. up and arenas <laughs> and soccer teams. And So know. how did you guys open up 10 years ago and how have you evolved to, I mean, even going through the pandemic and everything? But to maintain your um, commitment to your menus, but also to the changing chase of the dining public. Sure, yeah. So yeah, to come, I mean, to be there and to be one of the first tenants there, to to be, uh, you know, it's just it's just great, and to be there for ten years and survive, like you just said, the pandemic mm-hmm. and everything has been has been amazing. Our concept, our cuisine, you know, is definitely built around you know that, that Emilia Romagna kind of northern Italian style. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to stay true to that. You know, I think in being there in 10 years, I think that's a testament to, you know, standards and consistency. Um, but, you know, you, you, like you said, you have to, you know, you kind of have to evolve a little bit. You know, sometimes we try to step out of the box a little bit because we, we listen to the customers and we have such a, a loyal uh, customer base and a nice Marini family there. So, you know, you, you have to, uh, you know, take classic, you know, cuisines and try to innovate them a little bit. You have mm-hmm. to... Um, you know, work with, uh, you know, try to work as locally as you can with uh, with local uh, either farmers or purveyors and then try to, uh, you know, keep seasonality uh, on your menu and just kind of know when to maybe, you know, stretch a little bit and then when to maybe bring it back to stay true to, you know, the, the Well, roots. especially when we're talking about Italian cuisine. I mean, that is everything about Italian cuisine. What's in your backyard? Correct, yeah. You know, especially with the regionality. Like, you're not serving all of Italian cuisine. You're specific to the region. And so when you're thinking that way, you have to think about the products you're serving because, you know, you, you can't serve certain things when it's off season. Like at the end of the day, the taste is what's important and representing the region is what's important. Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. Right. I mean, we, I, know. Just, I could do this interview <laughs> for you. You don't even need to be here. I don't. Okay. I just want to listen to the other guests. Here, please, honestly, this is amazing. please do not use the phrase. I couldn't have said it better because I'm going to hear about it all weekend. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have visions of like, you know, visiting Italy and, and Emilia Romagna coming out and seeing like crates of, you know, the produce, you know, uh-huh. outside of a restaurant and stuff. And you're exactly right. Because it was, that's what was grown there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny when you take, you know, there's some things that are true Italian and American Italian, right? But right. American Italian did it out of necessity. Sure. Not out of trying right. to mess with the cuisine or anything. But, you know, we had eggplant, you know, where, you know, maybe it wasn't as popular at other places. So eggplant Parmesan came around, you know, mm-hmm. where you could travel Italy, you'll never see Parmesan. You know, it just wasn't, it's just not a popular thing there. But 
It, it, it's so good. It's okay, right? Milk <laughs> cheese on anything. Right. Yes. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about you. Oh, wait. Do we have to take a break? All okay. right. We're going to take a break first, and then we'll talk about how you got into the biz. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to Bill Dorier, who's the corporate executive chef at Osta Maria Morini, which is celebrating 10 years in biz. I want to jump in with a quick – we talked about this before the show. I mean – Italian food, Rock said, it's America's comfort food. It's, it's funny. It's everybody's comfort food. but And there are millions of Italian restaurants. But the hardest thing for a restaurant to get right is the pasta, the quality of the pasta itself, and then, and then al dente. And I'm not sure the world is completely focused on what al dente is, but it means that there's a certain bite to the pasta, that it's not mushy and like library paste. And... <laughs> And uh, you guys have mastered that. And I'm, is there a timer that you use? How do you do it? Because you've got, particularly with that many seats in the restaurant, you're churning out pasta. Who watches the pasta when it's cooking? I mean, the cooks watch the pasta. I mean, and then the chefs watch the cooks. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then the customer mm-hmm. eats the pasta. But, but you're, yeah, you're right. I mean, and, but it also actually starts with the pasta making, right? So you can use different flours, right? Different flours for different shapes of pastas, you know, whether you're doing filled pastas, whether you're doing extruded pastas, long pastas, short pastas. So, all of those will kind of have an effect on how, how fast they cook. Well, plus there's dry versus fresh. Fresh pasta is never going to have that bite that right. the cooking of the dry pasta yeah, has. It gets harder to kind of say al dente. It's either kind right. of cooked or it's raw. Right, You, know, and you exactly. don't really want to eat raw pasta because it just doesn't feel right you know, in mm-hmm. your stomach. Sorry, afterwards. daddy eats raw pasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it's true. And then even, even fresh versus uh, dry pasta. I mean, some people are like, you know, it's fresh or it's garbage. You know, that's not true. I mean, no. there's definitely a call for dry pasta mm-hmm. uh, versus fresh pasta. Do you guys make your own or do you? We make we, we make. Mostly all of our own pastas. We just recently started to incorporate some dried, and really it's just our spaghetti. Um, again, and that's traditionally, if you really, if you get a little geeky about it, in pasta world, dry pastas work better with like more oil, kind of tomato-based sauces. Sure. Where fresh or more creamy, they can hold buttery them, sauces. Right. Right? right. They can hold them. Right. So we, you know, sourced out a really high-quality, uh, you know, pasta, and, and and we use that now. Uh, but but all of our all of our other pastas, and traditionally, have always been handmade which is, you know, another labor of love there. And so how did you get involved with the group? I got involved like most, I think, culinarians do. I went to, I went to a school and graduated with an accounting degree mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and then realized how much I uh, did not want to get up and shave every day and put a suit on. And, um, you know, always as a kid, I, I've loved it. I, I just never thought, you know, I thought you either had to be born into the business or maybe European or something like that, and I was neither. So, you know, it just didn't really seem practical back in – in my day a little bit. So, um, but, but I've always loved Your day it. sounds like it could be my day. So, I mean, it's not like it was that long ago. Well, it's not, not that like long it's ago, David's but day. in the foodie world a little bit, you okay. know, 30 years ago was, was a different mm-hmm. story. Mm. So, um, you know, it, it, um, it definitely has changed and evolved over the years, which is fantastic. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially here in DC, I mean, what an amazing foodie city this, this is and, mm-hmm. and just been so over these 10 years to just kind of be a part of that and see well, that. Well, look at the growth just around you. There, right. you know, where there was one, now there are probably 50. Uh, uh, yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. the more the merrier, exactly. right? Yeah, like, bring in the Ubers. Bring in the people. Right? Yeah. Bring in the yeah. Ubers, right? Because there's no parking down there either. <laughs> there's we do no... have a parking garage right by us, which is kind of, or a parking lot. That yeah, that, kind of cool. But that yeah. parking lot, like. That's the parking lot where you go to die. I'm sorry. <laughs> that parking lot. <laughs> sorry. Yes. You have to be lucky with that parking lot. So are there anything special that you're doing? For the 10-year uh, anniversary, let's wrap it up. 
Yeah, so uh, we're, we're, it's pretty cool that the anniversary actually lies on Sunday, right? So mm-hmm. now we decided we're going to do like, you know, Caesars, you know, week of games here you right. know, at, at Marini. So we start off Monday, we have Marini Mondays, mm-hmm. uh, which is a discount on our, on our uh, pastas. Mm-hmm. So it's just a great way to just keep moving there. Tuesday, we have a wine dinner. Uh, Wednesday, we do a pasta class where we mm. teach people how to make our pastas. Thursday, we, we partner with like Campari and do more of like a happy hour, kind of bringing our cocktail and bar mm-hmm. theme there. And then, so you can say Negroni, even though I, I don't I, love I, Negronis. I was, I was, it's I, okay. I didn't want to say it. Exactly, I, heard, I saw what was happening here. Go ahead. Uh, and then Friday, we do some uh, some kind of Marini specials or, or the whole whole weekend, actually. And then mm-hmm. to finish, we do it. We run some classic specials. And then we're going to do a pig roast Sunday in, in kind of in, with our brunch. Uh, and and get some uh, suckling pigs in. It was an event that we used to do a lot um, mm-hmm. out on the water, and we used to do a t- more traditional pig roast. And so now we're going to bring in the suckling pigs and kind of do that in conjunction with our brunch. And I then, always feel so bad for the pigs until I take that first I know. bite. It's when you look yeah. at them, you're like, oh, and they're you're like, when they come in. Yeah, oh, no, like oh, ooh, moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. It's very hard to reconcile. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is. But we haven't stopped eating pork. So. Okay. All right. Tell everybody, please, where we can find you and where we can find uh, the restaurant. On our website, Osteria Marini, you know, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, you know, we're about a, a month out on the anniversary, so, you know, so, uh, you know things will be posted soon. But, uh, yeah, just keep an eye out on our web pages, and uh, everything will be listed there. There's ticketed events, so, you know, we can purchase tickets for it. Uh, there's events to uh, just show up on. So it's kind of a little bit for, you know, the community, everybody, every, something for everybody to enjoy. Last okay. plug. Even though it's an Italian restaurant, and 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 steak is Italian too, you know, yeah, like sure. the steak of Fiorentina. Yeah. But your your meats are spectacular. It's great. Gave it to Pam. Yep. Okay. Seasoning, resting, resting is the key. Resting rest. is the key. Oh, I, I like don't resting. have the patience for resting, but I know you you're right. I'm gonna go home okay. and rest yeah, after go this. Go yes. Okay. <laughs> rest my meat after this. All right. Yeah. All right. Sarah. You need to apologize. Her, uh, mispronouncing her name the entire time. <laughs> it's not Sarah, it's Sarah. Right? Yeah, Sarah, like the clothing store. Zara. I'm sorry, Sarah. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're not going to be able to walk out of here after all these cocktails this today. This thing is nuts. Thank this you. This is great. Um, yeah. So can we talk about, so you have all these, you have the ethos menu. Mm-hmm. You guys have a variety of menus that, that, that offer all these drinks. Can we talk about how the creative process with that? Like who are you sitting with? Will are you sitting with Ryan? Is it just you alone um, in a room hammering it together? Because you have so many creatives there. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'll eavesdrop on Chef Ryan's conversations that he's having with other people to mm-hmm. get inspiration. Sometimes uh, I, I think I told him that once. Um, <laughs> but between uh, Will and I, between Will and me, um, the myths and legends menu is uh, set up kind of like a a grid. With the menu that's available for an entire restaurant, what mm-hmm. you're doing is fitting the needs of all the different types of guests who are going there looking for, let's say, a crisp, refreshing uh, vodka cocktail. There's someone who's going there who likes old-fashioned style cocktails. So you're creating based on the parameters of fitting all of those needs, mm. um, working with seasonal ingredients, um, et cetera. And now also on another variable in this is to find a myth or a legend and to make sure that we're representing um, those equally globally. Mm-hmm. Um, ethos, on the other hand, um, I'm doing a little bit more like freely. So instead of like on a grid, it's a little bit more of like loose paper, um, like typing out. Uh, it's still problem solving in a way where like as a when you design a flight, you're starting with like a lighter effervescent cocktail and then increasing into maybe like a spirit forward one at the end. Um, this one follows an emotional narrative. So uh, finding out how to either 
fit my cocktail that I have like an ambition to create into that story or mm-hmm. vice versa. If I want to create a cocktail that um, fits into the mood in the story, then, you know, there's a little bit more of a back and forth. I'm not limited to just um, seasonal. However, like, you know, the story no, right it now. Sounds like you're big, it sounds like you're, I mean, we have to wrap up, unfortunately, yeah. but it just sounds like you're all, you're, everything you're doing is based on inspiration. Like you're finding inspiration in different places. Totally. And that is winding up in the glass. Yeah, but from a, a honestly, a retail perspective, what mm-hmm. you've very smartly done is create kind of a branded dome of creativity over the, I mean, the drink is the drink and you could just have it on a menu and people could get to know it and order and not know it. But you put this artistic um, imprint on top of it that is memorable. I mean, this, there are not a lot of, <laughs> cocktail bars or bars or any place in town that are doing something like this, and this makes it. I mean, there are a few. Thank you. I mean, yeah, but, you know, I, no, no, no. But the, I appreciate. I'm not just talking about the, the the piece of paper. I'm talking about the content. I yes. mean, this is brilliant. It That's, is brilliant. I love it. Yeah, it is. It's so, great. So there. Okay. <laughs> so you, I, are you doing one more? Uh, I am. Yeah. So the last one's going to be leisure. Um, it's on our my ethos cocktail experience. Um, it's the last one and, uh, it represents the idea that, um, you exist with your cocktail for a moment of time. There's a start, middle and end. Uh, you can enjoy it like moment the way that you enjoy music. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to let you get to it, but you're, this is the end. So tell everybody where they can find you at the bar. <laughs> Um, I am at Brasca every day that we're open, which is Wednesday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ethos Cocktail Experience is on Thursdays at 6 and again at Sunday on or Sunday at two seatings, once at 5.30 and again at 7.45. You can find all of this on Talk. You have to book it as a ticketed event. Mm-hmm. After November 1st, we're going to be moving to seven rooms um, as our – uh, reservation system. All right. Okay. And thank you so much. Thank I'm, you. You made me feel as special as I hope I made you feel in my space. Without a doubt. You thank, thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're at the end of the show. Very quickly, uh, I want to remind everybody to, uh, number one, not forget that with all the madness going on in the world, that that war in Ukraine is still going on mm-hmm. and there are millions of refugees there who need help give money to Jose's World Central Kitchen. You can go to CNN.com, and there's a whole list of, of Red Cross charities uh, where you can donate to help all those folks who are still in misery. And speaking of misery, um, both on the Israeli side and the Palestinian side, there's a world of hurt there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do the same. I mean, separate yourself from a couple of bucks and give money to help, particularly the, you know, the Palestinians are in trouble now with, 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 with the bombing that's coming. And the Israelis, the Israelis, God knows, have uh, are still experiencing a lot of hurt. So everybody's hurt on all sides. Don't forget any of them. Everything you heard here today, you can find on the list or you want it.com. So while it's great that everybody told you to go to all these different places, you can, but you can also just go to the list or you want It's all there, all the tickets, all the explanations, everything you heard will be there today. Also, follow me at NYCCI, N E L L I S, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter. Don't forget to follow me on YouTube with Industry Night. Great new shows are coming up uh, and lots of great shows in the past as well. Um, Let's see. Lots of fun things going on in and around the city. You'll find it all here on Foodie and the Beast, thelistareyouwanted.com and on Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. Thanks so much for joining us today. Everybody have a delicious week. (laughs) 